Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and I see better with my readers on. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Minute 4, which begins with the Tesseract misbehaving and ends with a chat with a hawk. All right. Now we finally get Eric Selvig here. And I guess I'm trying to remember when I first saw this film, knowing how Thor ended with the post credit sequence of Loki mind-controlling Eric Selvig as he saw Nick Fury inviting him to participate in the work to study the Tesseract. When you see him here, do you remember if you thought Loki was still possessing this guy? Because I think I did. I don't remember. I don't remember if I thought... So tell, talk to me about that. What did that mean for you? Well, I, I think I I came into this going, oh, Loki, like he is, he's doing stuff in here to purposefully, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't really know, but I guess I probably thought, you know, from remembering the beginning that, oh, Loki is doing something to the Tesseract through Eric so that he can open up this portal and bring this army through. Hmm. Like, wouldn't that kind of make sense? If he was here and he had been in communication with this guy, this other, uh, we'll call him, um, that, hey, I want to open a portal yeah. so I can get an army to come help me. Then, of course, it would be Selvig who's doing that work. Well, yeah, because we saw him under... Con it, it wasn't even like mind control with the mind stone like we see later in this film it was like he was inside him as we see him kind of in the reflection right as we uh, at the end of thor yeah so i don't know i guess it kind of seemed like either eric was dead and loki was in eric form kind of like we see when he does later in um later thor movies or he was just here still controlling eric and purposefully being here because he wanted this tool and he was trying to figure out through shield how to use it all right so this this is sort of the corollary to our challenge of what filmmakers leave out and put in comics and one shots and here we have a thing where they've introduced phase two weapons they've introduced the tesseract energy they've shown the scepter being handed over to mysterious green-clad Loki that we know as Loki, but they didn't give us any sort of reminder that Selvig was under some sort of Loki mind control at all. Like, why did they not refresh us if that were important? Yeah, well, and I'll say, when I, when I watched this, I very strongly doubt that I realized that was loki getting the scepter in that quick shot in our first minute um like i don't think my brain connected that that was the guy getting the scepter yeah and so that's why i probably thought because i mean i had seen the trailers by that point and so i knew loki was going to be the film so i probably thought oh he is still here in eric and that was how he got into this story interesting I had no memory. I'm sure I had no memory of that. Also, because the first Thor movie, I, I think I dismissed more than the others. Well, I might have, too. But I felt like talking about what happened in post credit scenes was kind of a thing. 
when yeah, you're talking to your friends secret. about like what's in the next movie. Oh, but remember at the end of that movie, we saw that Loki saw the Tesseract in the box and he was controlling Eric, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, again, I could be reading into, into, or I could be misremembering it, but I feel like that's kind of how I went into this movie with that in mind. And it yeah. kind of throws me then because, uh, well, I, I guess it doesn't throw me yet, but it will throw me soon when suddenly yeah. Loki is not in Eric and Eric is not um, under mind control. Um, but at this point, he's talking about the Tesseract and he's talking about yep. all these issues that he's having with it uh, to Agent Fury. And that's where we come into this particular minute. The Tesseract is misbehaving, Pete. The Tesseract is misbehaving, which I feel like is is a little bit of a cheeky uh, transition to the pull away where we have the scientist poking it with a stick. <laughs> Do you, did you see, did you look closely to what he's doing with that thing? It is, it is basically a doctor's stethoscope. So it's yeah. in his ears and it, it funnels down into this long tube that he's poking it with. He's like, poking it. Is he yeah. trying to listen to the Tesseract? Like, what is he doing? And then when the Tesseract like zaps him, does that blow his eardrums out? It doesn't look that way, but it doesn't look think like that's it hurts not a safe all. way to be testing a Tesseract. No, it's a terrible way to test a Tesseract. You need a better Tesseract test, is what we're saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, stress, stress test the Tesseract. Stress test the Tesseract. It's a Tesseract stress test. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> um, I, I do love this exchange between these two of them. It's very brief. They're walking around and they're talking about how it's bad. And then they mention gamma radiation. And Nick Fury says very seriously in a head turn to camera, that can be dangerous, which is a, uh, I find that a wonderful little nod to their experiences with the Hulk, and it's uh, it it amuses me. It is a little bit strange that it doesn't feel like Selvig knows the reference. It doesn't feel like he knows the reference, and it's completely dropped. It's and this is what bugs me about it. I love the line when Fury, as you said, kind of cheekily looks to camera. That can be harmful. I feel like it's very an Austin Powers thing where he just puts his finger up to his cheek. Uh, you know, that, <laughs> that, that can be harmful. And then, and then he just changes the conversation. The whole thing goes to Agent Barton, and they drop the whole gamma radiation thing. But I'm like. Maybe they should bring up that a little bit more as opposed to just some cheeky reference because it's related to the movie. We're going to need to know about Gamma Radiation and Bruce Banner. It's absolutely related to the movie, and it becomes a central way of tracking the Tesseract. It is. But you're right. It is completely dropped. But also economy of character. Let's get let's start getting our superheroes on screen because there are a lot of them. And in that regard, this moves quickly. We get. Uh, Hawkeye right now. Yeah. So our first referred to as the Hawk, the Hawk, our first Avenger makes it into the film. Uh, We finally get Agent Barton and we find out just like a Hawk, (laughs) which I don't recall from the comics that he's Hawkeye. He likes to hang out in high places up in his little (laughs) Hawk's nest. (laughs) Maybe a little too cheeky. I was going to make a joke about that. Like, why would he why would they make that? I, I see better from a distance joke. But then, like, his central role in the third act is to sit in a high place and look down. Right. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it. It it ties in um, a little bit. But I feel like we have to be just as just a skosh generous. We do. In it's, our read. Uh, and, you know, it's fine. It ties into the name. They're coming up with something for the name. OK, Hawkeye, because he can see really well. 
you know, hawk like a bird. He's up high. He's like a sniper. He needs to be in a position. I mean, even when we saw him in Thor, the first thing he does is he runs and hops into the bucket and goes up into the sky so that he can get a better re- a better aim on Thor as Thor runs through the hamster tunnels. But what's interesting is, okay, as an aside, when we get to his show, like his actual show where we spend week after week after week after week with him on Disney Plus, I don't feel like there's a real lean in on him wanting to be in high places all the time. No, in fact, it's more about, let's see, which of my secret super uh, crazy arrows can I use for this thing? Right. And that's that's more what that show focuses on. It's never about let's get up to a high place so we can get a good vantage point and figure out what's going on. I do like the treatment of Hawkeye here because so much of his of his thing is not just high places in this movie, which does play out at the end, but also secret, tricky, wicked, tricky arrows that we get to play out. So we'll talk more about that. I am a huge fan of Jeremy Renner. As we record this, Mm, we should say, I don't know what's going on. He is in critical but stable condition. Uh, after a snowplow, a weather-related snowplow accident, Jeez, yeah. uh, which seems sad. Serious leg injury. Serious, serious leg, leg injury. injury. He's probably going to be fine, but rehabilitation is hard. So I guess he had been plowing snow. Yes. I thought, I, I, I only looked at the headline. You thought he was run over by a snowplow? I thought snowplow. he was hit by a snowplow. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's crazy weather out there. I wouldn't be surprised. It is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, crazy weather. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, he actually was the one. He The snow cat flipped and accidentally ran over one of his legs. How much do you love, though, just knowing that Jeremy Renner plows snow? I love it. It's great. I just love it. I love it. I don't know if it was Tom Cruise-style plowing where he's plowing the streets for neighbors so that everyone else can get out it was probably just for his own place i'm gonna say no i think he was doing a tom cruise style thing i think so they were in mission impossible together of course that probably rubbed off on him (laughs) probably i want to get out there and help help my common man tom cruise is enormously contagious can we talk (laughs) about this movie again (laughs) so okay Let's uh, let's talk about uh, we're talking about Agent Barton. I want to circle back at some point to the Tesseract, but we'll do that in a minute. Agent Barton. Okay, so at this point, this is the most we've had from him in this franchise. Uh, All of the bits that I talked about in the last minute about where everybody was and everything. Most of the Hawkeye stuff was comic book related. The only thing we've seen in the film is that bit in Thor as our introduction to him when he's. at the hamster cage. Otherwise, this is it. So, what do you think? Do you like the way that Jeremy Renner plays uh, Clint Barton? Do you like him as a character? Do you like the differences of him here as opposed to kind of like that the purple costume with the the pointy mask in the comics? I'm not a huge fan of the purple costume and the pointy mask, and I I think the Hawkeye adaptation into this into the MCU. I like as well as I like the Logan transition, the Wolverine transition into the MCU because I or into the uh, the big screen because I'm not a fan of like the pointy things on their heads. I don't think that costume design it's, it works for the comic, sure, but it does not work. I don't think for the big screen, and so um, I I think it is a much more grounded, uh, practical. Uh, I like that his foil is uh, ends up being Black Widow. I think they work very very well together. That they are both grounded uh, Avengers. They're not you know powered people, and um, and I think it. I, I think he's great. I think Jeremy Renner is perfect for the for the part. And I do. I I 
I guess I share Jeremy Renner's um, longtime frustration with, you know, for years he was frustrated with uh, being uh, Hawkeye in the movies because he felt like the character was being underused. And I absolutely agree with that. I think for a long time he was underused as a character. And I think he was, you know, rewarded by waiting it out with what I feel like is such a fantastic Disney Plus series. Right. You, see, even though yeah. the, the Disney Plus series is largely him turning it over to a new Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah, right. But you know what? It's it, it's actually OK for me because I think they work really well together. Sure. And so um, and I also I, as an actor, I have no problem with Jeremy Renner in the choices that he makes. I think he's I think he's great. Super charismatic. He's fantastic. I've always loved the character of Hawkeye, probably because uh, West Coast Avengers is the avengers comic that i read i enjoyed the west coast avengers and he was leading the team and i just loved the way that his character was designed i thought he was a cool character and so before i was really even following many of the characters hawkeye was already kind of one that i just loved and so seeing him on screen was great and i absolutely share that frustration because I was not thrilled with how he was used here. I was very upset that the bulk of the film, he is basically under Loki's mind control. I'm like, come on, we finally get him. And now he's just a puppet for our bad guy. Like, that's so frustrating for me. Um, But yeah, he's a great character. I love Jeremy Renner. And I'm glad that he did stick it out because I do think that his character does get better over the course of the franchise. Yeah. So now, because this is the first time we're seeing Jeremy Renner, are you going to IMDb gaming? Because I already have my four picked out. We did it on Thor. That makes me upset because I wasn't there. Do you want to do it? I'm going to make you do it. Well, I mean, everybody else probably already knows the answer. Well, I'm curious if it's changed. Honestly, I don't remember, but I want to see if you can guess. Let's just see what you say. Okay. Because I'm already I'm already ready for this and Skarsgård. I already have my four picked out. Let's, let's hear it. All right. So this. Uh, I think is in there. It starts his, well, it doesn't start, but it is his thing. Um, he, didn't he get a nomination for, I don't remember, did he win for the Hurt Locker? He's I had, think the Hurt Locker's on there. He's had two Oscar nominations and the Hurt Locker and was the one other one. It, the other one is one of our favorites for The Town. Yes. And then I would add uh, Arrival. The Hurt Locker, The Town, Wind River, and The Avengers. Oh, oh, yeah, I forgot that movie existed. Yeah, really good. Uh, really good yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the only one that he really should be nominated for and win all the awards is Tag, his, um, <laughs> which was one of the greatest, greatest movies of the late 2010s. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Good call, good call. Interesting, okay. Well, since you have Stella Skarsgård, let's hear your four for him. Ah. Uh. Baron Harkonnen, he's got to be up there for Dune. He's in there for Ronan, I'm sure, because it's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite uh, movies. If people haven't seen Ronan, they need to watch it. It is absolutely fantastic. Some of the best real car chases ever. It's just a fantastic movie. Right. So, so good. Um, I'm also going to throw in um, uh, Chernobyl. He's, he, if he's not in there for Chernobyl, IMDb, again, is uh, broken. And last is um, uh, nah, I don't think I God, hasn't he been in 3000 things? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be close to 3000. 3000. Actually. Um, 
I love him 3000. No, he's been in 151 3, projects. I don't, this is what I'm going to say about him. None of the Marvel properties are on this list. I, I'm not entirely sure what the fourth is going to be. Um, what else have I, what else? I feel like I've seen him in so many things. How about Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? That was a big one. That was a big one. Uh, well, you would be wrong on all counts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Bring um, the pain. He, the first one is Goodwill Hunting. Oh, yeah. I should have picked that one. Yep. The second one is Nymphomaniac Volume 1. <gasps> no way. That's your favorite movie. He's done a lot of films with Lars von Trier. With uh, Lars von and Trier. So that's, yeah. that's one of them. Third is Amistad. I forgot he was in Amistad. Wow. And last but not least, Nymphomaniac Volume 2. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So the only thing you got right is that none of the Marvel films were on this list. Are none of the Marvel films. And I also got right that people should go watch Ronin. Yes, you so did get that Those right, two absolutely. things. I stand by both of those things. I'm actually kind of surprised, like, yeah, you're right. I, I guess I'm surprised that the Lars von Trier stuff, uh, that they ended up with two nymphomaniacs. Yeah, I'm like, a little how surprised many, by that. Like, it just seems like a strange definitely, thing definitely. to land on. I, I, I mean, I'm not surprised Dune's not on there because it's so recent. It's very rare for yeah. very recent things to make the list. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's an interesting list for sure. He's only been nominated for one... Uh, primetime Emmy for Chernobyl, which um, wasn't on the list, but does again seem like it should have been. So, so good. Yeah, it was so fantastic. good. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, okay. Okay. I want to jump back to the Tesseract real quick because this is something that we talked about in our season on Captain America when the Tesseract melted through the, the floor of the Valkyrie and fell into the ocean, where we're like, what is it doing? Is it just doing its own thing? which was kind of a question we were asking. And now we have this where the Tesseract is behaving, it's misbehaving. And I am wondering, is this even further cementing the idea that the Tesseract is like the, the Ring of Power in Lord of the Rings that is an inanimate object, but somehow has its own you know, sense of what it's wanting to do it seems like they're they're implying that it as we find out it's not but it definitely seems like the way that eric is talking about it is that it is something that's making decisions for itself i agree with that the problem is that you have now planted a missed opportunity in my understanding of this movie and that is that we should have some more either performative or demonstrative like production design some sort of indicator that it's actually misbehaving at the behest of Selvig, i.e. Loki. Because it feels like that's the connection they need to make, the fact that this is a door opening from the other side, which we'll find out about shortly. I like the, I, I kind of prefer the idea that there are machinations at work that Fury is not aware of because of this, like, supernatural connection. Because you're right. I mean, the Tesseract is a, it's this inanimate object. It's this thing that has an identity. It has a, it has a, it has motive. It has agency more than we understand. And I think that's what it demonstrates. But also, man, would it have been better to tie those things in uh, and, and tie Selvig in as, uh, as more of an agent of authority here, too. Yeah. It, I mean, he's genderized it. And that makes, that definitely makes it seem like 
he's giving it a personality as he talks yes. about it. Like he's always talking about, you know, as a, as a her, as a she. And so it's very interesting that it comes off that way when, you know, she's an ener- energy source. When we turn off the power, she turns it back on. It, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a very strange way to talk about this, this thing that is essentially an inanimate object. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, I don't know how I feel about that, but I don't know if I think it, I just don't think it works very well to kind of treat it that way. Yeah, I I feel like this is, again, this is the thing that's going to continue to bite us um, and, and has over years past doing this show, <laughs> which is, if you're new to the Marvel Movie Minute, that the idea of looking at a movie a minute at a time reveals things that feel grosser than they do when you're actually watching the movie. Like, here we are, we've been talking about this movie for you know, two and a half hours uh, already, you know, this week, and that we're only four minutes into the movie. And I think it's just important to remember that when I was watching this movie, I had no thought of any of this. It's only after watching it dozen uh, over a dozen times uh, that it starts to leak out some of these little holes. And when I watch it not one minute at a time, I still enjoy it. But I think you're right. I think they're, I think they've, they're fumbling some of the treatment of the box itself. Yeah. The other issue that I have, I think this is an issue that is more noticeable coming immediately after Captain America when Zola had tapped into the Tesseract as an energy source, was making weapons with it that was shooting Tesseract energy, disintegrating people. You know, we had, you know, um, rotor marks and, and, and Schneider piles all over the place. Uh, across Austria in that film. Zola, I'm so glad you remember all those <laughs> terms. Zola ended up working with S.H.I.E.L.D. He came on and was working for them, and we'll talk about that more when we get to Winter Soldier and beyond. Right. But this is this is where I run into issues, and I don't know if this is the writer trying to figure out how to tap into this and figure out how are we making this project Pegasus thing work with the Tesseract and the energy and all this sort of stuff, when somebody already had tapped into it as an energy source in the last film. Why is this still such a mystery to everybody? Why do they not know how to do it? Like, yeah. it, it just, like, that really, more than anything, bothers me. All this other stuff I can kind of leave behind. But we saw somebody do it in the last film. He's now working with them. And they don't know what they're doing with this thing. And it just seems strange to me that they're trying to figure out, like, how do you make this thing work? And that is a puzzle. That is definitely a puzzle that I don't think ever gets answered. Well, I think the only thing I can be, you know, super gracious about is that maybe they are trying to do something different with the Tesseract than Zola did. Like, maybe they could make weapons out of this thing right now, but they're studying it as a means of transportation or something like that. Because how else do you explain the machine as it is pointed down a runway to a platform? Like, what the hell is it? What did they expect it to do? That's a great question. I mean, well, Fury says they're harnessing energy from space. So we know that they they have a sense as to what they're trying to do with it. They're going to harness this energy that's coming from space. We don't know where, but we're getting it from space. But to your point, that is a great question. What is up with the design of this room that looks like it's got a place for somebody to arrive at? 
Yeah. But that's not what they're trying to do with it. They're trying to make weapons. They're trying to make energy. Yet they've built this space. Which goes that, back, yeah. Andy, to your God, you you broke me because it goes back <laughs> to this. If if Selvig is an agent of Loki, that explains everything. It explains why he, as a, the guy in charge of this project, would create a thing that would look like it does because he's awaiting the arrival of his grandmaster. Yeah. Right. Like that makes sense to me, but they never go down that road. And uh, and I think that it makes this opening questionable. Yeah. Frustrating. And that is a simple script fix. Honestly. Yes. If Selvig, when when Loki had arrived, if Selvig had smiled and was like, you have made it or something like just turned into worm tongue, <laughs> like skipping around. But if he had turned into like this worm tongue character, like we yes. realized, oh, he'd been put doing all this the whole time. That would have made all of this so much more logical. And it, it's simple script fixes that didn't need, uh, you know, to be in a place where we have all these questions about it. Yeah, right. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's stop here. Uh, it, we're leaving mid-conversation between Fury and Barton. We'll come back tomorrow to talk about minute five of this movie and uh, and see if things get any better and <laughs> see what happens. So, uh, Pete, thank you as always. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door to tomorrow, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe sanctuary's door. Right. <laughs> uh, until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This week's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.